0: So welcome to the podcast today. I got Brianna on and I'm really excited to speak to her today. She is the owner of Conscious Mommy, a licensed marriage and family therapist and an infant family, early childhood and mental health specialist. And welcome to the podcast today, Brianna.
1: Thank you, Thomas, for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you and um, support your great work, what you're doing with the schools and the families that you work
0: with. Thank you. And I look forward to hearing about your work as well that we are gonna discuss more today so people could get more on an idea of what you do and how you might be able to help them as well. So I think the first question that sprang in as soon as I obviously saw you online and you got a great social media presence that we will refer to in the link is what is this idea of, of conscious parenting? Obviously the name is conscious mommy, right? But a lot of people might sit and think, what does that mean? So, maybe we could just start there so people have an idea what it's all about.
1: So, here is how I define conscious parenting I define conscious parenting as our ability and willingness to understand ourselves for who we are, to understand our past and how it has influenced how we are in relationship with our children. So we can come to a place where we can accept the child in front of us for who they are, not who I expect you to be, who I need you to be, who I'm raising you to be, but for exactly who it is you are. So the conscious parents that I work with would identify as cycle breakers. So, these are people who have experienced hardships, sufferings, pain in their childhood experiences and are coming into the awareness that this pain, whether they are aware of it or not, is very present in their relationship with their child. So, it isn't that like, I'm simply annoyed, that my toddler or my teen is defiant. It's that deep down within, the the rage and the repressed anger I have, feeling like I was disrespected in my own thoughts, feelings, and needs as a child is now so present for me when my toddler or my teen defies me that I unconsciously believe I deserve respect. I demand respect. And so now in this unconscious and triggered place, I am acting out the need that I had in childhood that was inadequately tended to, inadequately met. I am now acting it out on my child and passing down this this idea that my child should be in automatic respect of me simply because I am the authority. So in conscious parenting, this is just like one example of the traditional parenting parent paradigms that we are examining and really deconstructing and letting go of so we can relearn what actually is important which I believe all of my training has led me to believe and all of my clinical experience I've been doing this for 10 years um, working clinically with families um, you know under the age of five and new and new parents the relationship that we have with ourselves and with our children is quite possibly the most important foundation that gets set for us for the rest of our lives it is what you know predicts the our general wellness and general health as we get older and so in conscious parenting what i am teaching parents is how to be in relationship with their children in ways that they never knew in their own childhood experiences, in ways that are respectful, ways that are curious, ways that prioritize connection over compliance, ways that prioritize compassion over shame and guilt, you know, a real extending to our children I see you. I hear you. I understand you. And you are safe with me. As opposed to the traditional parenting paradigm, which is you need to see me. You need to hear me. You need to understand me. And if you can't be safe, then you have to go be alone. That's the traditional parenting paradigm. We're really deconstructing and shifting and changing that in this um, conscious parenting space.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for that. That was beautiful how you described that. And I think even just I was trying to summarize all this that you were explaining so well. It's kind of like it starts with the with the self-awareness, right? Of being aware. How are our wounds, how are our triggers playing out? And it's also what I kind of heard, breaking generational cycles, right? Because instead of going on autopilot and now pass this on, we can actually stop that generational cycle and say, wow, this is my wound. Let me take responsibility and heal that so I can engage from a a secure place with my own child. And then the last component was really relational, that what you described at the end so nicely, I really liked your examples, by the way, was that I'm seeking connection instead of authority and power games, right? But I'm actually seeking connection with my child, because from that place, I can probably have more of an influence anyway, if we're in connection instead of trying to force my child to do something that my child doesn't really want to do. Um, so that was really nice how you described that. I want to just talk a little bit about this this part you mentioned because I think it's so important. This part that you mentioned about that we we obviously play out our own wounds, which is very true, and especially when we're not aware of them, then our own triggers will of course keep being projected onto our children and often become their triggers. Um, so c- can you talk? About, you gave one example how these wounds play out, and how might we be able to start? spotting and actually intervene instead of just playing out this automatic cycle again and again and again.
1: Absolutely. Excellent question. So the way I like to teach parents is to first build some awareness around their own body. So the body is going to be the primary communicator to the brain. Um, we um to live in a very like um Cortex heavy society where we think words are what actually change the body. And it's the complete opposite. The body is sensing threat and stress constantly and then the body is sending the message to the brain this is how you should be reacting and interpreting now we can't blame our bodies because we're we're animals like we're gonna have we're gonna have visceral reactions to things that stress us out which might be noises the child screaming yelling certainly a child pushing back to Tantruming, defying us. Um, as the kiddos get older, kiddos talking back, kiddos slamming doors, kiddos having attitudes or swearing, or maybe even kiddos like experimenting with things like drugs and sex, all of these different. You know, oh, and then also like bullying situations. If we see our child going through something that is particularly challenging, that was particularly challenging for us. If we see our child struggling to learn or struggling in the school environment and we ourselves had a difficult time with that, we our bodies are going to be the first thing to react. So I like to have parents come to become very aware and really good at being able to observe themselves in the moment. Now this is hard. This is a skill. And the typical typically the way this skill develops is this. We start as just like completely unaware of it, acting ourselves out the way that we are designed to. So if our child screams and we are from a screaming home, we're going to scream back. And then at nighttime, we're going to have a ton of guilt and we're going to reflect on that and be like, gosh, why did I do that? I'm yelling just like I told myself I wouldn't yell. I wish I wouldn't do this. What's wrong with me? And then we start to notice, ah, okay, I'm guilt tripping myself. Um, This makes sense. Let me check in. What was going on with my body? Well, I was I was physically overwhelmed. I noticed that my eyes were really widening, which is telling my brain so much to take in. You are trying to take in way more than you can possibly process. My my mouth was getting really wide and my body was pulling away from my child. I was sending the message to my child, you frighten me. And then my brain was seeing my child's reaction who was saying, I'm so scared that I frighten you. Am I really this big and scary? And something within me connected with that. And that made us both escalate together and get anxious and frightened and even more scared together. Okay. So that's stage one where we're not aware of it. And then we start to understand it after the fact. And then the next stage is where I'm in the moment and I'm sensing the same thing. I'm sensing my eyes are flooding. I'm sensing my body is pulling away. And I'm sensing my tone is getting shrieky and sh- and shrill. And so in that moment, I, I make the split-second decision. Oh, I should probably control myself, but it just that's just not going to feel good. It's going to feel really good to just lash out. And so I make this choice to just go ahead and do my lashing out again. I lick my wounds. I make sense of why that moment was so particularly challenging for me. And then I'm going to have enough experiences of that to where I am finally in the place where, oh, my eyes are flooded. My body is pulling away. My, my my trigger is very true for me right now. I can feel this. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to calm my body from the inside out. And then I'm going to set a boundary with my child. I'm going to connect with my child in a boundaryed way. Perhaps because I'm very aware of what's going on with myself, I'm going to be curious with my kid. Tell me what's going on for you. I can see you're having a really hard moment. And then I process that with my child. That's me connecting with my child. And then I set my boundary with my child. Now, parents usually want to get to stage three. That's, what they call me, help me be at stage three. And I let them know, oh gosh, we got a lot of <laughs> we got to, We got to trek through a lot of mountains and cross a lot of rocky rivers and uh, climb, climb a couple, you know, steep, steeps and valleys, peaks and valleys before we can actually get there. But we're going to get there. But it's just the road. And we're all on that road at any point in any given day.
0: Yes. <laughs> this made me so happy. <laughs> I was sitting like with a smile, internal smile, and, you know, listening to this description. First of all, thank you for the process, because that's really beautiful, and it's a nice process to visualize. And also, I love that you started with the body, because you're right. Traditional therapy is very much based on cognition, and we are finally starting to understand the incorporation of the body and how we actually process information from the body, emotional and at the end. And so I'm so happy that you brought that up because to regulate ourselves we need to be get in touch with our body and it's almost like learning a new language, right? I remember I was I was out shopping and this mother and well intentioned of course and doing the best she can under stress and her her child was like having a bit of a tantrum and and she said to her child, you know, her daughter, Stop being a child and I kind of just looked at her with compassion, you know, and I said, well, she is a child. Because I think we often forget that, you know, the part that help, and we even struggle to regulate, but the part that regulates you know, it only really start developing, I think, around the age of eight or something and into our mid-twenties. So expecting a child to do it is completely unrealistic. And as you said, part of us as a parent is we have to help them co-regulate. That's part of what we do as parents. Um, So I'm so happy how you described that process. And it was really funny, because a couple of weeks ago, I didn't do perfect parenting myself, (laughs) if there even is such a thing. And uh, I was really stressed because, you know, my business website has collapsed. And, And my kids, they said to me, they're six and 10. And they both said, you're a bit more 10 to normal daddy today. And I said, that's true, I'm sorry. Let me take a deep breath. And then my son sat down on his bed and he said, Daddy, maybe you need to talk about your emotions a bit. You want to tell me what's going on? And then, and then I shared what happened. And then I turned around and my daughter said, Wait, Daddy, I have drawn all, so she had drawn all the different emotions on a piece of paper. She said, I think you need to draw how you're feeling too. That will maybe make you feel a bit better. <laughs> and I did. And, uh, and it was so great. And then we did that together. And then I actually did feel better. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Oh my gosh, this is so brilliant. So all of your incredible modeling for your children, they are really showing you back in this way. They understand, they're they're learning the process of emotion regulation. And, And this is something I think conscious parents are really called into, is how do we be this this co-regulator, and eventually this coach for our children. And you're right. It starts with us. We have to be willing to do it for ourselves and to support the children in a collaborative way through this process. And then this is just, I mean, the icing on the cake, right? When when the children show you back (laughs) that they understand Mm -hmm. what you've been teaching them. I remember the first time my child said, mommy you need to be more gentle with me. I thought, oh my goodness, you are calling me out. And you have every right to do so because that's a healthy relationship. A healthy relationship is where feedback is reciprocal and it's respectful, but it's supportive for the nature of the relationship. And I just love that your children... You know, not to take care of you. I don't. I don't get the sense that they were trying to take care of you. I get the sense that they were they were reflecting back to you the, the beauty that you have taught them, and it's just wonderful, Thomas. I love it.
0: Yeah, and I even think the quick repair afterwards is important, right? So straight away, I acknowledge that I done something wrong, and I said, you know, yeah, I did project some of my attention. And you're right; you don't deserve that. And you know, actually, I don't want to talk about boundaries today, but one thing I thought was really funny was because I was playing with my daughter and I taught her from a really early age about bodily somatic boundaries so I came to give her a hug and wanted to give her a kiss on the cheek and she said "Uh uh-uh stop daddy I said oh she said I didn't give consent for you to give me a kiss and she said you can only kiss me on Tuesdays (laughs) and I said okay I said it's your body and (laughs) I shall respect that Um, but it's just again it's a really good reminder of how important it is that we also help them learn right about these bodily boundaries that I think often we forget and then we wonder why as adults we have so many adults running around struggling to set set boundaries, but I don't really want to talk too much about that. So what I wanted to ask you about was I wanted to go because you mentioned this in the beginning and I picked that up and I think it's super important was about being able to not project onto our child and therefore actually accept them for what they are. So that's an important point. I want would love for you to talk a bit more about because we really have these two opposites shame shame which shuts down, right? And acceptance, which expand. I would love if you could maybe just talk a bit more about that and you know how that applies to parenting.
1: Well, I think when I say that, um, a lot of people get um, really nervous by it because they hear it as, well, then I have to accept Every single thing that my child does, if my child hits me, then I just have to accept it. Is that what you're saying? Or if my child makes me feel like I'm walking on eggshells, I just have to accept it, right? Um, I don't necessarily think that is what I am trying to suggest. What I'm trying to accept suggest is that our children don't need to earn our love. Our children don't have to earn their worth. They are good enough as they are, just as you yourself never really had to earn the love and the worth that you were conditioned to believe you needed to do. You were always good enough. You just had parents who, doing the best they could with the information they had, were really um, chained to a paradigm that believed intently that to raise good children, you need to break them down. You need to shape and mold them to be exactly like you are. And if they resist and rebel, you are to push them away. Mm -hmm. You should outcast them. I mean, these are, and these are things that are still happening in, you know, at least in American society. I see it constantly. Now, I I believe the core need for all human beings is the need to feel safe, seen, connected, and heard. Mm -hmm. That is the core need at the end of the day. That is what every single person wants. And so what we do is we, we learn very early on, when I am my full, authentic self, all of it, All of my joy, all of my exuberance, all of my resistance, all of my defiance, all of my will, all of my need for power. When I'm all of these things, there are parts of me that people enjoy, that people like, that people will accept. And then there are parts of me that really displease people that I have to hide. Mm. And so before we are actually psychologically ready to take on a mask, we mask ourselves. And that this mask is very fragmented because it is not based on one's own self-evaluation and one's own sense of confidence and esteem of oneself, but it is based on this, this fragmented projected view of the other. And usually it is the parent. And so what the child does is they, they put on this mask and they're like, okay, if I, if I turn it this way, is this what gets me your love Okay, how about that doesn't work. So let me adjust it this way now. Is this how I get your love, your attunement, your connection, your respect? And the child is put in this place where they are constantly guessing and unsure and insecure about how to get that full, accepted, unconditional, positive regard that we as human beings are driven and wired to need and to want. And so then when that child grows up to be a parent and is exhausted with all the performance, they are exhausted. They have been masking and masking and masking. They can't take it anymore. And if they're unconscious to it, we end up projecting that onto the child where I can no longer mask. So I'm going to ask my child to do it for me. This is how these patterns get repeated. And this is, and the child, you know, being so innocent and being so believing and being so trusting, they simply accept this is the way you have to be in relationship. You cannot be your full true self. Mm. It is not enough to be your full true self. You're too loud. You're too much, right? You're an embarrassment. I don't want you to act this way. Boys don't talk like that. Boys don't cry. Stop being a sissy. Stop acting like a little girl. Girls don't behave this way. Girls are quiet. Girls don't share their opinions. Girls don't sit this way. We have all of these different ideas that are put onto us of what it means to be a good girl, what it means to be a good boy, which is ultimately what causes us to deaden or harden that part of ourselves that is the most lit on fire, that is the that is the most connected to the essence of our being. Mm. So when I'm calling parents into accepting the child for who it is they are, what I'm also calling that parent into is accepting themselves for who it is they are. I'll give myself as an example. Now, it's probably not a surprise to you that I'm a very intense person. And I have have always been a very intense person my entire life. I've always been a very opinionated person. Now, growing up in a very small town, A very patriarchal, kind of conservative small town. Being an intense, opinionated, loud, uh, rebellious girl was not, um, was just not what was acceptable. And so I had to really reel myself in a lot and hide a lot of myself to the point where I was depressed, anxious, OCD was completely exacerbated. I was suicidal at one point throughout my, um, throughout my teenage years, but nobody would know because I was second in my class. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, on scholarship to NYU. I was the lead in my school musicals. I was the head of several community, you know, community service initiatives. I had this great big smile on my face and everybody thought, oh my gosh, look how great. Brianna is such a great community, mm. such a great role model in our community. But they didn't know I was dead inside. Mm. They didn't know how afraid I was to, for people to actually see me. I was terrified mm. because I had believed I was so bad. I was so unacceptable. Nothing I would do was good enough. Nobody would ever love me unless I am perfect unless I put out everything so perfect, I will be a failure and I will be worthless. This was a belief, very strong belief Mm. that I, that I carried. And I worked on it and worked on it. I've been in therapy, you know, 17 years off and on. I'm a therapist myself. Mm. And when my child goes to, goes to gymnastics class, I have a, I have a four-year-old And at the time when he started gymnastics, he was three. He's an eccentric child, an incredible child, quirky child, challenging child in many ways. Um, A lot like me in many ways, to be perfectly honest. He's quite intense, loud, opinionated, quirky, funny, different. Um, All the things that I learned to hate about myself is this child here in front of me. And I've had this in my mind, you know, got to be really conscious, Brianna, you can't reject within him what was rejected within you because these things that was rejected within you are actually what make you, you. And so I want to be very conscious and aware of building that in my child. But when he goes to gymnastics class and after his first class in the 45 minute period, every single person in the gym knows my son's name Mm -hmm. because it was said so much because he was so defiant and so (laughs) Unwilling to do anything <laughs> that was being asked of him. I sat there and I felt that feeling of embarrassment. Mm. I felt it. And I thought, oh, this is how insidious the patterns are. Because I could be like the other parents sitting in the rows next to me, bar- barking orders at their children, telling their children to behave, telling their children to listen, telling their children to knock it off. Or I could sit here and bite my tongue and let him have his process. Let his teacher teach him and me not interfere and me give him the experience of feeling loved, seen, understood, and safe, regardless of his behavior, because that's what he needs from me, his mother. That is what he needs. Mm. That's what I needed. And that's what I believe the majority of parents who I work with who are on this journey needed. They needed to know that you are not your behaviors. I love you in spite Perhaps even I love you because I love you because you are intense. I love you because you challenge me. I love you because you force me to look at my wounds. That's how deep this goes. When I'm talking about accepting the child for who it is, they are because you can spend your life trying to change that child. And you know what that child will do? They will resist you. Mm -hmm. They will push away from you. They will not feel safe with you. Because all your child wants at the end of the day is to know, I love you for who you are, not who I need you to be, not who I expect you to be, not who I believe you. I'm raising you to be, but for who you are, it is enough. And that, I believe, could seriously change the world if this was the paradigm, if this was the mainstream paradigm from which we were being guided to parent.
0: That is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And you know what? I agree so much with this. And I think you are right. It will change the world because it creates... It's no wonder we have so many people as adults running around trying to be people-pleasers, as you said, because they learned they had to hold a mask in a certain way, right, to be accepted. And, mm-hmm. and as you said, there's a safety in a child and knowing I'm enough. It doesn't mean that I can do all behavior I want, but I am enough. And... This distinction between behavior and trying to instead of addressing the behavior, finding out what is the underlying emotion. I have like a small little story else, yeah. But based on what you just explained, because I think it's such a good way you explain it. And I remember my son had like a period where my daughter was born and he would like push her sometimes, push her over. And I was walking out and there was this parent walking past and saying, Oh, you're gonna let him get away with that when it just happened and obviously she had a very judgmental look at me, like I was a bad parent. And I just ignored her, and then I sat down with my son, and I said to him, I love you. What is it that you actually need? Because I know you don't want to hurt your sister. I know you're a good person, and I know you care. And he said, oh, I don't like my sister. I said, I hear you're frustrated. She's here. What is it you need? And he said, I want attention. And I said, of course you want attention, and you should get attention. I said, what about when we come home? You know, she can be with mommy, and... I will have some time just with you. And you know what? Instantly he calmed down. Instantly his nervous system calmed down. He didn't touch his sister at all. And, you know, that behavior has gone away. And again, it's a difference between, I guess, jumping straight on the behavior, right, and thinking we have to lecture. And instead, what you described so well is... Slowing down, first of all, slow down before we react, even if other parents might look at us judgmental, for you in a gym, for me on the street, <laughs> um, because they have this old paradigm that it's about lecturing behavior. And instead understanding, there's probably also a reason if our children are doing things we might see as destructive or not right, there's probably a reason they're behaving that way, there's probably something that they're not able to communicate. We struggle to communicate our needs as adults, and yet we somehow think that a six-year-old should be able to do it perfectly. That's a quite unrealistic expectation, right? Right, (laughs) absolutely.
1: But what you're also describing that I think is so beautiful is... One, you were calm and regulated enough to not feel flooded and to not feel triggered by your child acting out that way. And the, you know, person in the community's judgment, you were able to kind of let wash off of you. Some of us really struggle with being able to manage that feeling of judgment in the community. And it's it's because of, one, how harshly we judge ourselves, and two, the wounds that we have around feeling judged for not being perfect or feeling judged for having a hard time, feeling judged for struggling, feeling judged essentially for things that make you human, right? That make you normal. So so you were able to like regulate yourself through that and just kind of let that go in one ear and out the other. That's the biggest hurdle. Mm-hmm. And then the second big hurdle is that courage, to go beyond the mainstream paradigm, which says you need to fear your children, you need to control your children, and you need to get their behaviors under, under wrap. And instead seeing well, what's the underlying feeling and what is the underlying need. And when we lead with that curiosity, this is a very collaborative and supportive way to teach our children about the world around them. And the reason is the, how we're doing that is by teaching the child to understand their internal world. When the child is able to understand that internal landscape, what's going on for me? Why am I acting the way that I'm acting? What is this about for me? That is what allows the child to eventually, when the brain structures are mature enough, be able to go out into the world and think, gosh, what's going on for that person? I wonder what it is that they might be needing. I have a really good sense of my internal landscape. And now in this lovely socially and emotionally connected way, I can be curious about the internal landscape of another. This, this is a functioning society. Mm. This is a society that is going to evolve in a completely transformed way, not the way we've been doing it. Because the way we've been doing it is forcing children to be thinking outside of themselves in childhood. And then because they didn't get the need met to understand themselves in childhood, now they're all, you know, egotistical, narcissistic, and focused on themselves in adulthood. It isn't because they're full-blown actual narcissists with a, you know, clinical diagnosis. It's because they're suffering from narcissistic wounds. They have ego wounds because their core needs to feel seen, heard, understood, and safe. We're not prioritized. We're not given the attention and the care that they need in order to have somebody who is fully emotionally mature as they enter into adulthood and are really forced to collaborate because we live in a world where you literally have to be able to collaborate on some social level Mm -hmm. to be able to survive. No one is going to survive completely in isolation and completely on their own.
0: That's so true. That's so true. And, you know, I think one of the things you mentioned when you first talked about my story, which is my next question here, is, you know, we were talking about, you said, so I was able to regulate, which is true, because obviously if you can't regulate yourself, then you're not going to be able to do this process. That's out the window. And I'm not perfect by any means. I want the listeners to know that. I also have raised my voice on occasions. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. But I want to talk about, if you can talk a bit about what, Tools, maybe that parents can use to then actually try and regulate, right? Because it is challenging when our kids are screaming, or, you know, I did have a stress response when he first pushed her or hit her because, of course, I want to protect my daughter. So that natural, I did feel that adrenaline. Luckily, I was just able to, you know, contain it and then breathe and calm down before I reacted. But, but what can what can parents do? Can you talk a bit about that in that storm when we have that initial reaction and we want to maybe scream or say, don't do that or whatever we want to do? How can we just slow down?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the stress response and the trigger is the normal thing, right? That's the body's natural protective way um, to f- be able to quickly make a split second decision. So we can't like fault ourselves and blame ourselves for feeling triggered. It's what we do with the trigger. So um, yelling and screaming is going to happen at times. What I like to see over time with the observational practice that I talked about in the beginning is that it becomes more of the exception rather than the norm, right? Mm -hmm. So if our norm is that I'm yelling and screaming, I'm going to need to get to the to the root of that. If my norm is that I'm hitting my kids, I'm going to need to get to the root of that. If my norm is constantly going into shame and blame and disappointment, I'm going to get to the root of that. And each of those have different roots. Mm-hmm. You know, shame and blame. There is a lack of empathy, a lack of empathy and compassion for oneself. If I'm hitting a child, it's a lack of physical control and a lack and, and serious issues around anger management. If I'm yelling, it's almost always rooted in anxiety. And needing to feel heard. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're screaming because we don't feel heard. So giving ourselves a practice of feeling heard is extremely important um, as we are building our reservoir. Mm-hmm. Now, keeping the tank full, keeping that regulatory tank full is important because, you know, if a child is dipping, mm-hmm. right, if a child is dipping into our regular tank, our regulatory tank when we're already empty. Mm-hmm you're probably not going to be your best self. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is time when you give yourself grace, right? You give yourself grace and compassion. So what do I need to prioritize in my life so that I do have a fuller tank Mm. for these inevitable moments? This is where a lot of parents get stuck because at least here in the States, parents are really under-supported. There's not a lot of help for for parents on really every level—social, emotional, psychological, physical, literal help, spiritual help. There's very little available um, to to modern day parents. We're like really parenting on a nuclear and pretty isolated, isolated level. So I can understand why many parents are more are burning out easier because there's just not enough to really fill them. Um, In the moment when this is happening, uh, you know, if you can allow yourself to get down eye to eye with your child, so if you can get at or below Mm -hmm. the child's eye level, this is going to send a message to your brain, not a threat, right? If you stand above your child or if you assume a body posture, like pushing the child away or toughening up and getting a little bigger, It's going to send a message to the brain. Oh yeah, ready to fight. Let's do this. Or let's flee. Let's freeze. Let's do something here in this moment. So we can actually trick the body by giving it a very specific stance down onto the knee at or below the child's eye level. And then you're going to talk low, slow, and very little. So when we're talking low and slow and very little, it's also going to communicate to the body. This is not a threat. Take a beat take a moment, allow yourself to, to slowly process. There is no tiger here. Mm. There is nothing that is going to attack you here. It's not real. It's just your brain's way of trying to feel safe and protected in in really just a biological way. It's biologically adaptive mm. that we would respond in such a strong way. So we have to get So I find that when parents kind of adapt these body postures, like I'll even have some parents who do a lot of like flailing or they get heavy handed. I actually have them put their hands over their hearts and kneel Mm -hmm. as almost like a, like it's like a somatic reminder to slow the heart, Mm -hmm. almost like a weight that we put onto the chest, which wants to breathe quicker and wants to get a little bit more oxygen pumping through the body Mm -hmm. so that we can act quickly reminds the body. Oh no, I'm okay. My child's okay. This is a tough moment. We're okay. So even having a mantra can sometimes be supportive for parents. And then don't worry about saying the right thing. Don't worry about saying the best thing. In fact, don't even worry about saying anything. You can say absolutely nothing in those moments. And just simply focus on physical attunement, mm. regulatory attunement, nervous system to nervous system. No words need to be said most of the time. Mm. And then when the word comes to you or when the something that feels honest and true about your child's experience comes to you, then you can go ahead and say that. But if you feel like you're trying to sift through a bunch of stuff in your mind because you're so frustrated, this is so inconvenient, I don't want to be doing this right now, gosh, you know, this person is staring at me and making me feel really embarrassed. Stay with what you're experiencing then. Mm -hmm. There's no need to say anything. Just breathe. Slow yourself. Literally, get get down and slow. And then allow the moment to evolve the way it will. I just don't think we give ourselves permission. I think we feel like it just, it has to be this quick, tidy thing that we do very, very fast and very swift so that we can show everyone around us what a great parent we are. Mm. Because that's the mentality. That's the paradigm. You have to be in control of your child and you have to show the world how in control you are because that is what makes you a great parent. Not not the low, slow, present and attuned parent, right? That's Mm. so far outside of the mainstream, that we see that as ineffective, when really the science shows the opposite. What I'm describing is effective parenting.
0: Yeah, those are some really good tips. I like the one about putting your hand on your body because it also gives a soothing sensation and it also reminds yourself the awareness about how is my breathing because often it automatically becomes shallow, right? And it's kind of because you can feel it physically to slow that breathing down, which I think is a really good tip. One thing I do as well is, and this works really well for, for myself, but also the people I work with, is basically turn my head. In the beginning, as I get triggered, I turn my head everywhere to visually orientate and basically tell myself there are no frets. And it's kind of a way, because you know, even though there are no threats, it is a perceived threat, right, when we are so triggered. So I literally will just spin around 360, And look, and then I will tell myself, there are no real threats here. Are there, Thomas? You're not in danger. Nobody, your kids are not in danger. And that also helps just the body because it gets a visual cue. And I try to look for something I like in the environment, whether it's a plant, a tree, something that can have a soothing effect. And that just reminds me that actually, look, there's no threats in this environment. And that also kind of helps the body calm down a little bit. And like you said, to just slow down, you know, we want to rush, (laughs) rush. But, you know, this has been really wonderful. I love the overviews you've given, some practical tips. I could talk to you for hours, but I don't want to keep this really long. Um, and we want to try and keep it pretty short and snappy. So I think I want to finish up here, and then maybe we can always do another one another time. But I want people to be able to find you. Can you just tell them where they can go find you? Because you have, and we're going to put the links, by the way, in the description below. But if you can just tell them the best place to kind of find you if they want to know more.
1: Sure. So um, the best place to um, connect with me and my teachings is on Instagram and you can find me at Conscious Mommy. Um, If you are wanting to dive a little bit deeper into this work, I do have several workshops, um, live classes that I offer periodically and all of that information can be found at learning.consciousmommy.com. And then um, if you're needing any individualized support i do um do some coaching for clients it's not therapy i'll do therapy for california people but for people outside of california that are needing specific coaching around maybe a specific problem that they're facing with their child you can learn all about that at consciousmommy.com.
0: perfect go follow her on social media i do and it's it's really good stuff so um yeah thank you so much for joining today and uh, hopefully i'll have you on in the future again
1: I would love it, Thomas. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much.